When things are going well for believers, they often say, I have been so blessed. Before the blessing comes, though, how do you act? How do you talk? How do you behave? There's something very revealing about character by how we act before the blessing comes. Welcome to First 15 Podcast, brought to you by Word of Prayer. I'm Ron, and I'll be your guide on this journey. Thank you to our regular followers, and welcome to our new listeners. We practice reading the Bible as we listen to God speak to us, meditating on the Word, and then using that scripture that we've listened to to pray back to God. Subscribe or follow the podcast if you haven't already. Season five of this podcast is focused on learning to listen and pray through Bible stories or narrative, which make up almost half of the Bible. We've listened to Bible stories beginning in 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 3, and then in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which tell us a universal story about a creator God who makes everything good. He gives mankind his image, and he seeks to bless all people. He keeps loving all people, even in the face of their sin and disobedience, which is pretty remarkable. We've also seen that the the structure of Genesis as a book, as a literary piece, a writing, is really built on generations. The word generations is a key word, rather than on chapters and verses. And there's 10 parts to the overall story. If you're curious about that, you can go back to our earlier episodes on Genesis and in our show notes or on our website at wordofprayer.com. That's with dashes. We actually lay out what those 10 parts are. So you can go reference that if you're curious. Now, after Genesis 11, the focus of the story narrows down from the universal history of the earth, all mankind, to one individual family and their descendants, which becomes a nation of Israel. That family is centered in a person, Abraham, which is what we're going to be listening to today. Now, reading Genesis 12 alone, on its own, as I've done many times before, means that you miss some important framing or context. When we turn to Abraham's story in Genesis 12, we can't forget all these important and foundational parts of the story that have come before that we've already been covering in Genesis 1 through 11. It's really a God story, like we've said. And despite the human actors, the men and the women that are detailed in that story, It's really God who's at the center of it all. He's the hero, even though he's not always, you know, front and center or in the spotlight up on stage. I've often started reading Genesis 12 focused on Abraham, but I've learned we need to actually turn back a little bit. Five or six verses before that, at the end of chapter 11, is where this whole section starts when it says these are the generations, or this is the family history of Terah. So we go a long ways into Genesis before the next major part of the story is marked out for us. So the story or the family history of Terah goes all the way to Genesis 25, 
That's the next time that we have one of these important markers that says, these are the generations. And it's in verse 12 of chapter 25. It says, these are the generations of Abraham's son, Ishmael. And then just seven verses later, verse 19, it, another section starts. These are the generations of Abraham's son, Isaac. And that goes all the way to Genesis 36, where the final section of Genesis begins. When it talks about the generations of Esau and then the generations of Jacob in chapter 37. Now, here's what's missing to me, at least. These are the generations of Abraham. There is no section in the book of Genesis that's marked out that way. We go from these are the generations of Terah in Genesis 11:27 right to chapter 25. These are the generations of Abraham's son Ishmael and Abraham's son Isaac. Now clearly chapters 12 to 25 Abraham is at the center of the story. You can't miss it. He's clearly a central character, very important. But I've read and read, and I don't find that particular marker that says these are the generations of Abraham. So even though Abraham and Sarah are really the key actors in this middle section of Genesis, very important part, to me this is a curious thing that Genesis doesn't use it as a marker in the text. Now, set that to the side. We'll ponder over that a little more, meditate on it as we go forward into the story. Let me recall for you that in our last episode, we focused on Genesis 11, 1 through 9, towering pride about the Tower of Babel and how Yahweh scattered the people after confusing their common language and putting a halt to their great project. Remember its purpose? They wanted to make a name for themselves. That was chapter 11, verse 4. After they built this great tower or building going up to the heavens. Immediately after that story about the Tower of Babel, we have this in Genesis 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem, of course, is the name of Noah's oldest son. And we mentioned this before. The name Shem in Hebrew actually means literally name. So the word for name in Hebrew is Shem. Is it a coincidence that Shem is named name? I don't think so. So we have the generations of Shem right between this important story from the universal history about humankind trying to build a tower to heaven to make a name for themselves, and then the story of Abraham in which God promises to make a name for him. Let's now read today from Genesis 11, starting in verse 27, through chapter 12, verse 20, about Abram's big blessing. Now, this is the story of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldees, while his father Terah was still alive. Abram and Nahor married wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, who was also the father of Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. 
Terah took Abram his son, Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. They went from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. They came to Haran and lived there. The days of Terah were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Leave your country and your family and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who treats you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as Yahweh had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they went to go into the land of Canaan. They entered into the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, Canaanites were in the land. Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your seed. He built an altar there to Yahweh, who had appeared to him. He left from there to go to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to Yahweh and called on Yahweh's name. Abram traveled, still going on toward the Negev. There was a famine in the land. Abram went down into Egypt to live as a foreigner there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he had come near to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman to look at. It will happen that when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but they will save you alive. Please say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me for your sake, and that my soul may live because of you. When Abram had come into Egypt, Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. He dealt well with Abram for her sake. He had sheep, cattle, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Yahweh afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now, therefore, see your wife, take her, and go your way. Pharaoh commanded men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that he had. 
And that's how the story of Abram and Sarai begins. It actually starts with Abram's father, Terah, who has three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, which kind of reminds me of something that we've encountered before. I mean, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Adam had three sons as well. Maybe it's coincidence, but when we see these recurring patterns in Scripture, we should at least stop and pause and notice. We don't have to always make something out of it, but we should at least be attentive because I don't think there's really accidents in Scripture. Terah lives in Ur, which is a city in Chaldea. It's an ancient name for Babylon. And Ur was south of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And so, kind of interesting, when God scattered people with that incident at the beginning of chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel, at least this part of Shem's descendants, Terah's line, they didn't go very far. They didn't get scattered very far upon the earth. They're just to the south of Babylon. But Terah decides to go to Canaan. No reason is given in this passage in the scripture. And he takes Abram, his childless wife, Sarai, along with his grandson, Lot, and they get halfway to Canaan, to Haran, and stop there. Now, it's spelled exactly the same in English, Haran and Terah's son, Haran, but they're slightly different in Hebrew. The first letter, one of them is Haran with just a, a soft H, and the other is Haran with a hard, you know, guttural H. And so there is a slight distinction in the text. It's not so confusing there. Now, we don't know why they stop, but that ends up being the place where Terah dies. And it's in the midst of this that they're kind of in the middle. They're, I would call it no man's land. They're not where they began in Ur of the Chaldees, and not to the place where Terah set off to, to Canaan. And this is where chapter 12 begins, where God says to Abram, go, go from your land, go from your relatives, your family, and from your father's house to a land I'll show you. And then he makes these incredible promises to Abram. God says, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing to all the families of the earth, of the Adama, is what it says in Hebrew, which again takes us right back to the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And so Abram went as Yahweh told him. Abram gets to Canaan and he camps near a tree at Shechem, an ancient city. It's actually modern day Nablus in Palestine, the Palestinian territories in the West Bank. And Yahweh appears to him there. This is the land that I will give to your descendants, God says to Abram in verse 7. And so Abram builds an altar there. It's kind of ironic because Abram and Sarai don't have any descendants themselves yet, though they have a lot of material goods and blessings already. They have servants and they have livestock and animals. They've got all sorts of things already and blessings, but they don't have any descendants. But God says, I'll give this land to your descendants. Well, Abram moves from Shechem just a short distance to a place between Bethel 
and AI, and he builds another altar there, and it says he calls on the name of Yahweh, which means he worshipped Yahweh. But the emphasis on the name of Yahweh, again, is kind of interesting in this, in this passage, given that there's such a play on words. The ancestor, Shem, son of Noah, the fact of the people of Babel trying to build this great building to make a name for themselves. And then God himself saying, I will bless you and make your name great, Abram. But Abram doesn't stop here and settle in the land of Canaan. It says he keeps moving south and goes to the Negev, which is the dry, almost desert-like land in the far south part of Canaan. And he doesn't stop there either. He keeps moving south and heads into Egypt before he's going to later return to Canaan. But while he's in Egypt, a very interesting incident happens that we just heard about. Abram comes up with some idea, a scheme with Sarai and says, look, I'm afraid for my life here in this foreign land among you know the people of Egypt and the stories I've heard. Hey, Say that I'm your brother so that they'll treat me well. I don't know what Abram's thinking. You know, maybe he's really afraid for his life. Let's assume that. And when you're in survival mode, you don't always think clearly. But the point is, this is incredibly dangerous in terms of the promise God has given. Why do I say that? Well, if Sarai is his sister, that means she's fair game. And, and what actually happens is Pharaoh takes her into his household. Rich and powerful men in that day, often they had many wives. And Sarai joins, if you will, Pharaoh's harem and goes into his household. Well, if God's plan is to give Abram descendants, Abram and Sarai, if she's in Pharaoh's household, she is clearly in danger of being becoming pregnant by Pharaoh, and it just confuses the whole thing up. And in fact, God sends plagues on Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh, at least in this story, comes off as acting pretty virtuous, as someone that is trying to do the right thing, and he even confronts Abram and says, why did you say this? Why, why have you brought this sort of plague on us? Abram is kind of shrugging his shoulders and just trying to you know, argue for himself. And at the very end of the story we just read, we have very interesting language where it says, Abram saw her, took her, and went. And it really echoes the language from Genesis 3, where it says, Eve saw the fruit, took it, and then what was the result? The end of chapter 3. God sends them out of the Garden of Eden. They went. And I think there's a design pattern here. Something similar in the passage is being emphasized. Only instead of fruit, it's now Sarah who's in the, in the center of the story. Abram sees her, takes her, and he went. And in this particular story, a little variation on the theme, Pharaoh is the one sending Abram and Sarah out of the land of Egypt, in essence, exiling them, sending them away from him, which it kind of makes me wonder in the first place, what are they doing in Egypt? Of course, 
we heard in the text they went there because there was famine in the land of Canaan. But clearly God has said Canaan is the land that they are supposed to, where their descendants are going to inherit. It's the land that he has shown them and where they're going to settle. And so Egypt, in a way, is really a detour. It's Abram trying to reason and make sense of God's promises and make them come about in his own way. And putting Sarah as his sister and not as his wife also puts God's promises and plan into a very perilous situation. And so we don't really get a picture of Abram as being a hero of the faith at this point. In fact, we see him as someone who is really kind of trying to bring about God's blessings or promises, his plan, his own way, Abram's way, not really relying on God. Even though he calls on God's name and worships him and recognizes God's call on his life, at least, at least he got up from Haran and left and continued the journey to the land of Canaan. And he is trying He's trying to live faithfully, but like what we've seen so many times before in this story, already in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, mankind trying to do good, trying to discern the difference between good and evil using our own limited insights and understanding, we make a mess of things. And really that's what Abram does down in Egypt. He makes a mess of things and God has to rescue him and keep bad things from happening, basically. So there's a lot for us to think about here in this just beginning of the story of Abram. As we read the rest of the story in the next 12 to 13 chapters of Genesis, you'll see that he and Sarah really struggle with God's promises. They keep wanting to fulfill God's plan in their own way, not necessarily God's way. We'll come back to that in the next episode. For now, though, I just want to focus on the fact that God promises great blessing to Abram. And it's something that goes way beyond just the material goods, of which he already has a substantial amount. God wants to bless Abram and use him as a channel of blessing to the nations, to the people around him. Let's take a moment to pray this passage back to God now. God, you desire to bless us even though we desire to make a name for ourselves. You want to use us to bless others even though we want the blessing all for ourselves. You ask us to wait and trust and call on you. But in our restlessness, we keep moving, scheming, and trying as hard as we can to manufacture the blessing for ourselves. Forgive us, heal us, and bless us in your time, in your way, and for your purposes. This is our prayer today, in Jesus' name. Amen. My insight from Abram's story is how quickly we can go from faith to fear. Abram was calling on God's name and worshiping him one minute, and then the next he takes off to Egypt. And we find him fearful for his own safety. He ends up putting his wife in harm's way and wavers from trusting God, the source of all blessings. God's story 
surprises us the more we meditate on it. It teaches us to humble ourselves and let God show us His ways instead of taking matters into our own hands. God is at work even when we don't see it. God desires to bless us, and He also wants to bless all people. How is God speaking to you? In what ways is he challenging the purposes and plans of your heart? If you're looking for big blessing, look to the source and let God bless you in his way and in his time. Let me hear from you with a note about how you're being helped or impacted by this podcast. You can find us at wordofprayer.com, that's with dashes, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can support our podcast by checking out our books on Amazon or browsing our Etsy store with products inspired by these episodes. For links to these, check out our show notes in the program description or go to wordofprayer.com. Seek God and His blessings in everything that you do today. Be well. Thank you.